Welcome to Machine Learning. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I know that I've talked on a large variety of different subjects, but I'm focusing in on healing through Christ. Um, some ideas that I've learned and some ideas I've thought about. And some of the things that I've done wrong uh, in the way I've interacted with people, and I know that I can do better. Sometimes when you look back on your life, you you feel like not a failure. You feel good about yourself in terms of if anyone else could have done better, they're welcome to have tried. Um, but you do your very best, and and you try to improve each day and that and that's what really matters but you have to to go through a a fearless inventory of your life at different times and maybe even every day and look at the patterns that you find as negative patterns that don't lead to positive outcomes or they they increase your anxiety or they lead to fear, desperation, um, collapse. And ultimately, you could say this also applies to societies, but what is a society? A society is composed of a group of individuals. So I like to look at it from an individual point of view and say, how do I take ownership for this? And when you, I can take ownership for it, then I can take responsibility to change the things in my behavior that I have been unwilling to change up to this point that will lead to a positive outcome. So very similar to an inventory, you need certain things in your life in order to function properly. Those things are respect, love, safety, comfort, interest, self-actualization, protection, which is safety, I guess, and but it, there's different aspects of safety. There's moral safety, there's physical safety, there's spiritual safety. And as a result of that, <clears throat> look to the Savior's power to save and realize that we're not in control. We're not in control of our lives uh, we are not in control totally of our health. We may experience things like cancer. Uh, we could have certain genetic defects that lead to things like muscular dystrophy or muscular sclerosis. There's a lot of things that are beyond our control. And so we really depend on God to help us through those uh, processes, and sometimes we're afraid. We don't know what the answer is. We don't know what the future is, and so we're we've we're trying to control the things that we can control um, that we have influence on, and sometimes we feel like it's our responsibility to be right. And I I felt like that a lot when I was growing up. Uh, raising my family. I felt like I needed to be right. I needed to understand what was going to be happening in the future. 
Uh, I, I read 700 articles from the Wall Street Journal and analyzed that because a professor said, if you want to understand economics, read the Wall Street Journal and understand what they're saying. Uh, but, you know, I, I did. I, I found some wisdom in his advice. And for several years, I read the Wall Street Journal. And then I started to analyze it and form my own economic theories of what was going on in the world. And so I got this maybe false sense of being right about how things worked. And then I realized life in, and systems are very complex and that we can't know everything. Uh, we could read a thousand books, which I did. I read a thousand books. I read over a thousand, maybe 2,000 books. And what I discovered after reading so many books is there were a vast variety of ideas. I, when I was in college, I read uh, Harvard Law Review, loved it, read Yale Law Review, loved it, studied constitutional law, studied law, um, and understood a lot of the principles of, of how, how our laws were formed and then chose to go a different route and chose to, to go into computers and and uh, was very interested in virtual reality and the possibility of virtual environments. And so when I started studying data science, it made sense because it was basically a form of virtualization of the data. And I found that there was a lot of value in data. People paid me to explain what their data was doing and to create systems that allowed them to understand what was in the data. But still, it was so complex, I couldn't control all of it. I couldn't learn it all. Um, took a, over 300 data camp courses, uh, programmed various different languages, learning it in the top 5% at Stack Overflow with over 1.4 million viewers reading my computer code. So there, there is always this continual process of learning and we aren't in control of anything. We just adjust and adapt to our situation and circumstances, and we turn a lot of our life over to the Lord, and we let Him guide us. We take our fearless inventory. We find the things that are working positive for us, and we continue to enhance those positive attributes just like we would an inventory. They they build on us, our knowledge of, of morality, our knowledge of our ethics, what's right, what's wrong, our knowledge of relationships with our family and our friends and our community. And we try to extend that relation and build long-term, meaningful, lasting relationships that we can depend on as a sure foundation as things become more difficult. We have so much uncertainty. We had COVID. We have inflation. We have political corruption. We have natural disasters. We haven't experienced earthquakes uh, in the form of magnitude talks about in the scriptures, but we have to be prepared. And if we are prepared, you won't fear. 
But in this process of analyzing each day our our weak strengths and our weaknesses, our behaviors as we write them down, we're going to discover character weaknesses. And those character weaknesses exist. It's not something because we write them down on a piece of paper that they suddenly exist. No, they existed before that, and we just became aware of it. We became conscious of it. We recognize it. And we don't deny our feelings about those character weaknesses. And as a result of that, then we can bring those character weaknesses to the Lord, and we can ask for Him to help us to become stronger in those weaknesses. We can let self-pity go. We can let these character weaknesses that threaten our our well-being to be replaced with character strengths. We don't have to argue or self-justify to others why our character weaknesses are valid. We can acknowledge that we have those character weaknesses. We can tell our Heavenly Father how we feel about them. And we can tell him, this is not who I am. I am sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the actions that have led me down this path. Uh, Maybe my self-identity was not as strong as it needed to be. And I yielded to doubts. And those doubts led to behaviors that were destructive. But that's not who I am. And if you know who you are and you maintain that identity, you can overcome those negative behaviors that pull you down, that are self-destructive, self-harming, self-justifying, self-aggrandizing, selfish, and replace them with feelings that are love, charity, and hope, and discovery, and discover the opportunity that life has for you to make a difference. And that opportunity uh, builds your character, and as your character builds, that becomes a asset in your inventory. So inventories are not always about what you're doing wrong. You need to give yourself a break. Inventories can be also about what you're doing right and how you're changing and transforming. I remember when I was a kid, I read a book on Gandhi. It was an amazing book. And he confessed his weaknesses in that book. And yet he became an important figure in Indian belief system about peace between the Muslims and the Hindus. And they were willing to overcome their animosities that they had at the time for each other and unite uh, because of the character strength of one individual. So we can have character weaknesses. No one is perfect. Everyone is striving to improve, and that can um, help us to reduce our anxiety. 
sometimes we are so overwhelmed with life that we don't know what to do. We feel humiliated. We feel ashamed. We feel um, despair. And we're trying to overcome those feelings, but we're it's just so we don't know what to do. And oftentimes, as parents, we think, well, I just need to set the expectations. I need to come in there and say, you know, this is what you need to do in your life. You need to go to the following schools. You need to get the following career and following friends and everything is going to be fine. And this is your recipe for success. But instead, what that does is it it builds these expectations between yourself and your child um, whether that child's young or old, that if they don't perform, then they're not loved. And I remember having such serious performance anxiety when I was a kid about running, and I was a fantastic runner. I could run the mile in 5.30 every time. I could go out and run a 5.30-minute mile in eighth grade, I could run a 530 minute mile in seventh grade. And when I was a freshman, I ran a 516 minute mile. And, you know, things change. I, I got chicken pox, it affected my lungs. I got asthma, it affected my lungs. And I couldn't run the 516 mile anymore. And uh, I had problems uh, physically, uh, was anemic and in for a time and so I'd get these serious cramps from long distance running. And I had to change my focus. I, I you know, athletics was such an important part of my life because I felt that it equalized me. I didn't feel um I didn't feel different when I was out on the field of of uh, battle competing against other people or competing against myself. But I realized those intense expectations that were put on by my parents for me to perform uh, were were causing my despair at times where I felt, you know, I wasn't good enough. And so I had a, a great bishop, a friend, and I went to talk to him and he would always make me feel really good by validating that I was, uh, you know, still a good person, that I had value, that athletics would not always be the center of my focus in my life and that there would be other things that would be more important. I really appreciate those uh, counseling sessions. And, you know, I I had seen this individual later in life, uh, but that relationship uh, had changed. Things had changed. Time had caused differences in terms of not the animosities, but there was no longer um, that church relationship uh, that I experienced when I was a young man. And so it taught me, you know, that you have to have church relationship with people, but you also need to have personal relationships. So you feel comfortable when you see that individual again and you talk to them, you realize that that long-term relationship continued. So it's important to be careful about imposing expectations. Yes, you have standards. Yes, you know, there's your example can speak uh, more more volumes than your actual words. 
and and there is performance standards and there are things that people need to be capable of in order to qualify for certain types of jobs those things are all true but in your personal life you need to have the ability not to impose expectations upon people because it can create anxiety and it can increase pain and it can increase doubt. And that's the one thing that can work against you is doubt. And it can work against uh, other people. You know, we're going to all experience bitter trials in our life. And when we experience those bitter trials, we have to understand that those trials are consecrated for our gain. We can turn those trials into our gain. They can become our identity. They can become our focus. Um, they, doesn't, they do not have to be identified as a negative emotion, um, even though we may feel negative emotions first when we experience these trials. They can help build our character. And without them, we could not become the person we are today. And at the same time, when we're, we're dealing with people who have negative uh, emotions, negative behaviors uh, that make us feel unsafe, we need to set up boundaries and establish through those boundaries a consequence. We may have to tell them if they continue to uh, speak the way they do or act the way they do, we have to withdraw either our support or our presence, one of the two. And we need to follow through with those consequences so they understand that those boundaries are solid. Um, you know, sometimes we look at God and ask Him for relief, and that's a great thing. He's very capable of providing relief. He's very capable of healing. He's very capable of allowing us to learn and grow and not interfere in our lives and our choices and we should be really grateful for the fact that he is so wise. And in that process, he's allowing us to learn from our experiences, gain strength, and learn how to find meaning in the elements that seem unfair. I was listening to a gentleman talk today, and he said, can we still believe in God when the things that we promise in the name of God don't happen? And it's okay. I remember thinking that myself in a situation and wondering if I said the right things or watched the the family who fell apart because they couldn't understand how God would let their son die. And I felt a lot of um, responsibility for not having helped that family more in bringing their son back to life. But it was something I prayed about and I felt that it was okay that he be allowed to go on to the spirit world. And those are things that at first you feel like, well, why didn't... God helped them because here was a family that wanted their son back, but he had a different plan for their son. 
And I don't know what it is, but it had to be great. Um, and for him to go at that time. And so we have to look at God and say, we don't know all of your strong reasons. We just need to accept that those strong reasons are more valid than our, our reasons at this time and yield our will to his and say, thy will be done. It's acceptable. We can move forward. And so the family eventually uh, divorced. They remarried and they moved forward. And I do believe that someday that all things will be reconciled for him and the knowledge of their life experiences and these trials will be revealed to them and all will be satisfied. And that's the beauty of the Lord is that he may keep these things from us in our life for his wise purpose. Sometimes he may reveal them. I know one case where he revealed why a woman's husband was brought home. He was, She was told and realized that this world was too hard for her husband spiritually and he needed for his own soul to go home. So we don't we don't know all the answers, um, but we can be grateful for our trials and, uh, uh, and tribulations. We can be grateful for those who are struggling uh, and and we can we can gain from this learning experience. And we can learn to recognize, identify, and feel our emotions. You know, um, we can learn to feel the Holy Ghost. And we can not be so proud in our self-justification that we could cost the life by not listening to those who are struggling. There could be those who are desperate and they're on the very edge and you know, they're willing to make harsh decisions that could have permanent decisions, uh, consequences. And if we could listen and validate their emotions, it could save their life. You don't know at what point in your interactions with that individual that that will be true. We, we just, it could have been that little spark of hope and helping them to feel better, not by enabling or giving them what they want, uh, maybe in terms of maybe harmful substance, but we can give them our love and we can give them our understanding and we can give them the belief that they are valuable, they are wanted, and that their um, ability to take care of themselves is something we believe in. We select them for the job of living life. And then we let them live life and we step out of their way. Now they're going to have failures. They're going to have successes. And we're going to be there to support and create positive experiences for them through our love and support. But we are not going to live their life for them. We're not going to take away from them uh, the human experience. 
You know, one of the big things that we have as human beings is this feeling of distrust. It's created by those who criticize. It's created by um, things that went wrong, uh, blame, or rapid-fire accusations, or unwanted solicited advice and we so we get to this point where you know it's like you're on a firing line you're in a battlefield and and you're in the foxhole and every time you you know you look up you know you got uh artillery uh firing around you and and you feel unsafe and so you know we have feelings we might feel sad, we might feel angry, we might feel joy. And sometimes we've found that when we feel sad and we share those feelings that we get told, uh, you know, cowboy up, be a man, or stop your emotional bleeding. And those type of th- statements are harsh. And it may may make us... Uh, not trust our feelings or, you know, feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. And so we uh, we don't trust our feelings. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to feel about our feelings. And we don't want to acknowledge them. And that is emotional pain. That emotional pain will drive negative behavior. And once you start to talk about your feelings with those who you can trust, with those you feel safe, with those you feel comfortable, and you can confide in them, and then start the hard work of healing and opening up and trusting the Lord. He can then work with you and help heal your broken heart. And I've seen this happen. And for those who are supporting loved ones who are struggling, See them as the individual that God sees them as, not as the person they have. I mean, they could be um, in a prison somewhere. I know a man, he found God while he was in prison and changed his life and gave up his drugs and raised a family and is a good man even to this day. I know if I met him again, I could go talk to him and ask him how he was doing with his resolve to do the Lord's will. And I know that he would tell me that he's doing his best. Um, anger hides our vulnerability. It, anger hides vulnerable emotions. You know, if we're we do we have a right to be angry? No. Should we is angry anger something that is good? Um, we hear in the scriptures that sometimes the Lord is angry at the wicked. I would say focus, determination are good. I would say the anger is destructive. Um, however, there must be a reason we have anger as emotion. It gives us a lot of power. But at the same time, I know that if we are always angry, we make mistakes. 
we are uh, too spontaneous. We don't think deep in the beta state. We don't meditate. We're not pondering. We're reacting. And we, there's a purpose for fast reaction. Something's dangerous coming towards you. You need to react. Uh, if, uh, if you're being attacked by a, a uh, aggressor, you need to rise to the to the level of of uh, response that the aggressor is is um, projecting on you. So there must be a reason for anger be, for survival reasons. And if we are always in survival mode, then we're always angry. We're always ready to fight. We're always looking for um, a tactical advantage. And so we're thinking in terms of tactics and strategy and advantage rather than um, talking about the vulnerable emotions that we're protecting or hiding from. And those emotions not expressed will express themselves at some time. So rather than doing that, it is better to pray and meditate and consider... Um, that that you know anger has its place it's it, it can be a, a force for good too um anger is part of the grieving process of of the emotions that we're grieving over or we're sad over or something that that hurts us emotional emotionally and we can be gentle with ourselves and this is what that fearless inventory does for us we can write the things as an advocate about why our emotions are important and validate them uh, by yourself and be kind and gentle. And that um, allows us to feel safe about our emotions, about our feelings. You have to remember that anger is a choice. We're choosing whether to be angry or to be vulnerable. Anger is a, a defensive mechanism. It's a deterrent. It 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 uh, deflects those type of things that we feel threatening. But in the process of being angry, we can destroy another person's well-being, and we can bring trauma to them. You know, anger means that you're you lose your will. We can actually become drunk with anger. Um, we can believe that anger motivates us to change, but does it? Or does it justify our positions that we are so comfortable within? And when we become angry, it's time to slow down our thought process, slow down our mind, take a time out, go for a walk, sit under a tree and ponder like Buddha did. And, or... Go fast for several days like Christ did. I believe he fasted for 40 days. It's possible physically to fast for 40 days. But maybe 40 was a number that the uh, Jewish people meant for saying complete. It's a number that's commonly used in the Bible. So it may have been 40 days as a significance of completeness. Fast, pray plead to the Lord, and in that process, gain wisdom and insight. 
we need to learn to express ourselves in appropriate ways, to forgive. Remember the king of Syria, when he, he was sent a, leg, a legion intent to kill Elijah, um, that that was fear speaking. And the, Elijah said, they that are with us are more than they with thee. The mountains were full of horses and angels. The Lord has angels to help us. He will send those holy beings. We may not see them, but they are there to help us. And he is watching over us. He knows what's in our best interest. He doesn't want us to be afraid. And if we are afraid and we are dependent and we are enabling and we are uh, filled with anxiety, we can slow down, we can reflect on those behaviors, we can write out what we, the things that we do well, the assets we have, we can see what the liabilities are and what their costs are, and then we can start to mitigate them through the help of the Lord. He can soften your heart. He can awaken feelings that you thought were, uh, that you could never feel again. You can experience his grace in your life and let go of emotions that you thought were impossible to let go.